Tapping the Keg Daily is live. For Monday, October 2nd, we are going to do the Brewer Playoff Importance Rankings. We're also going to talk about the Brewers and Diamondbacks. We'll preview that series. Drew Holiday gets traded to the Boston Celtics. We'll talk about the Bucks' impact for that. We'll also discuss the Bucks signing campaign and uh, the Dame Lillard Milwaukee experience on Saturday afternoon. Boots were on the ground. We'll talk about that. And then lastly, we'll get a first look at the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, who the Packers' next opponent is a week from now. Three straight Sundays without the Green Bay Packers. That's crazy. Uh, before I get going, just a reminder, social media, Tevin the Keg on Twitter, Tevin the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. You are going to see a lot of me here in the next month with Brewers Baseball Hummin', with the Green Bay Packers in the throws of their season, and the Milwaukee Bucks starting at the very end of October. You can also uh, make sure that you're subscribed to the pod on Apple, on Spotify, or wherever else you use your podcast. If you already are subscribed, Drop this in the group chat. Hit us up. I, to me, I don't know how many people will be doing the Brewers. How many people will go Brewers first? They should. I know it's an NFL Sunday, Monday, overreaction, a whole thing. But we have to talk about our Milwaukee Brewers. That, to me, is the center of all of the attention. So let's do it. Let's waste no more time. And let's go through the importance rankings. So if you're new to the program, I do importance rankings quite a bit. Actually, we have our October importance rankings which I don't know if we're going to actually get to those. Uh, might have to be a truncated version of that with game two, game one on Tuesday, but we'll uh, think about that for another time. Uh, and how it is, is I talk about how important guys are. It's pretty self-explanatory. Usually I will say one, two, three, and four, but I'm going to put a little, little twist on it because I think baseball, it's a little hard uh, with you know everybody out there. I'm gonna We're going to go through what I think that the wildcard roster will be, and I will rate their importance from one to 10 in terms of getting the Brewers past the Arizona Diamondbacks and into the next round, as well as long-term, are how important are they to the success of the Milwaukee Brewers? And that's how we're gonna do it, like I said, a little differently than what we typically do. So let's start and go with the pitchers first and go with Corbin Burns, who's pitching game one, and I will put Corbin Burns at a 10. Uh, that's an easy top guy on the list of important people because he is pitching game one. He's the tone setter. He is getting the ball. He is the ace of this staff. I think there are a lot of people that would rather have Brandon Woodruff out there in game one. And I I don't disagree with that. I think Brandon Woodruff's a better big game pitcher. You see his September and October stats are absolutely absurd. But I think Burns being your ace and being a little sensitive, uh, you want you get Burns out there in, in game number one, and he has to set the tone, especially when you have an advantageous matchup against Brandon Path, who has not, has struggled on the road. You have to take advantage there, and Burns is going to be very important to what the Brewers do, not only in this round but rounds to come. You know, the Atlanta Braves didn't see Corbin Burns this year. The Dodgers saw him once, and they got one run off him, and it was Mickey Mouse at best. So. Corbin Burns has what it takes to pitch the Brewers into the World Series. So he is getting a 10 for me. I think Adrian Hauser is going to make the, the wildcard roster as sort of a long man. He's been out of the bullpen before. I'll put Hauser at a four. Uh, it's not going to be that important that Adrian Hauser is contributing. Maybe he won't even contribute in the games that the Brewers play this week. 
But I do expect Adrian Hauser to have a moment sometime in this playoffs and be a guy where things have gone to shit for a pitcher and he's out there, you know, in the third or fourth inning. I don't think Adrian Hauser will start any playoff games. I think that will go to Wade Miley. Um, but I think out of the bullpen, I think Adrian Hauser can be a resource. So I, I have him at four. Trevor McGill, that's that's an eight. I, like Trevor McGill, is, there's a there's a possibility that Trevor McGill is your eighth inning guy. Uh, I I worry about the eighth inning with Joel Piamis, who's been struggling here of late. I know he had a couple good games down the stretch, but like Trevor McGill is very important to what the Brewers are doing. He's part of that dynamic bullpen bullpen group where you could essentially set it up if you wanted to be McGill, Milner in the seventh, Piamis in the not eighth, Williams in the ninth. You could also do a combination. Uribe could find his way in there. And McGill just throws gas and throws heat that he makes it tough for batters. And he's kind of controlled himself. He's got itself under control. Now, playoff baseball is an entirely different beast, but I do really think Trevor McGill is a guy that could end up being an unsung hero as it goes on. I actually don't expect Wade Miley to be on the wildcard roster. I just think they're going to carry more relievers. I think so either Miley or Hauser goes, and I think they'll choose Hauser just given his former reliever experience. And maybe Colin Wright. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Hobie Milner, nine. Like, Hobie Milner has done the best on zero days rest of any pit. He's been awesome. He's been absolutely incredible. Kurt Hogg had that stat the other day. And so... Hobie Miller is going to be a guy that has a rubber arm that you could throw out there every game. And he's a guy with the lefty-lefty matchup with Corbin Carroll. I know Corbin Carroll hits everybody, but Hobie Miller is going to have some opportunities to come up with big moments in this series and in series beyond. And yeah, I, I love love kind of his demeanor. I love that he's kind of unflappable. And yeah, I trust Hobie Miller, and he's very important to what the Brewers do out of that bullpen. Joel Piamets, he's he's a 10 but I, I'm very nervous about that because his he's been leaking oil here the last couple of weeks. Uh, Piamis has just not been good. I think it's actually Piamis. I think I mispronounced his name, but I don't think there's any any coming back from that. So I, we're just gonna we're just gonna disregard it. I look, he he just he needs to pitch better, right? Like he just absolutely needs to pitch better. It's it's nerve wracking. I I wonder if the Brewers are going to you know, play the matchups. So if it's like, you know, Carroll's up in the eighth, do you have Milner out there? Does Abner Rebe get a moment in the eighth? Do they try Miguel? Like, is it guaranteed that you're going to have, you know, a a moment there with Piamis that you really have to trust him and not that not give up the game? He's probably to me the weak link of this Brewers team right now. I think setup man is probably that for, for the Brewer crew. Maybe the bottom of the order too, but the bottom of the order has had had moments, you know, throughout the playoffs or uh, throughout the regular season. So we'll see. Fred Peralta, a 10, right? Like he is the same as Woodruff. He's the same as Burns. It'll be very interesting if the Brewers, heaven forbid, were to lose on Tuesday night. I think if they were to lose, or if they were to win, pardon me, if they were to win, do you go with Freddie Peralta in that situation and keep Brandon Woodruff on ice? So you have Brandon Woodruff for game one, potentially, if you win. And if you need a decisive game three, then you have Brandon Woodruff there. I kind of think that's the route you go. Like, they're all well-rested. So they could they could easily do this interchangeably. And I just wonder, will Peralta actually be the one that gets the ball if the Brewers were to win? 
Now, if they lose, I think they go with Woodruff, right? And then it's Freddie Peralta in game number three. It's a lot of pressure on Freddie Peralta. But Freddie Peralta has had an incredible second half. His start against the Marlins did not go great for him. But I, I don't think that's anything to be, you know, phased about. I, I think it's just fine. Abner Uribe, I have it at a seven. I, I think I, my worry with Uribe is he's just a young guy and he has a ton of emotions and he wears his heart on his sleeve. And while those guys can be electric and they can be, you know, what makes the playoffs fun and start some shit too. Like other teams usually don't, don't uh, react kindly to it. I do wonder will his emotions get the best of him. That Diamondbacks team is is very very good. They're very very tough to handle, and so can Uribe keep it all in check? And that's why I wonder if the Brewers do throw him out in high leverage situations, or if they ease him into this and it's low leverage, and maybe we have more Abner Uribe in the Dodgers series, or if the Brewers were to advance any further. Devin Williams, you know, ten like Devin Williams, closer of the Brewers. He's been. One of the best, if not the best closer in baseball this year. Uh, Devin Williams is going to be heard from in in a cl- close games, which is what the Brewers seem to always do. So yeah, you'll have a lot from a lot from Devin Williams. Bryce Wilson, I think, will make the team. I, I got Bryce at a six. He's kind of like an elevated Adrian Hauser. He's another guy that can eat innings. I never feel really confident when Bryce Wilson's on the mound. I can't get how bad he was with Pittsburgh and Atlanta out of my head. And he has those moments where it just all falls apart. And so he does have, I believe, postseason experience. He's been been doing this before. So that that is at least something the Brewers have going for them. But yeah, I, I obviously like Wilson in low leverage spots. Like I would like to see Bryce Wilson more up like eight to one or something like that. Brandon Woodruff, another guy that's 10. Like he just is really important to what the Brewers do from a pitching perspective and a big game pitcher at that. And so I do think if the Brewers were to lose on Tuesday, it's Woodruff with the ball on Wednesday for sure. And then vice versa, if they were to win, I think you're seeing Thursday from Woodruff. He's just so good, man. He has been a very clutch pitcher for the Brewers and a guy that I I trust more than Corbin Burns. I think if you were to rank the guys about trust, it'd be Woodruff. It might even be Peralta or Burns. I think I'd still say Burns, but man, Freddie's been so good. He's had some good playoff moments too. Uh, so I, I think I love just the fact that all these guys have been there before. And Arizona, which we'll talk about in the preview, has really not. And I, I think that really works to the Milwaukee Brewers' advantage. All right, let's go to the offense and talk about that. Uh, William William Contreras is another guy that is a you know 10, 9.5. Like, William Contreras is the MVP of this Brewers team. He's what makes this go. He is a bona fide star. You're going to see 24 Contreras jerseys all over the ballpark next season. Uh, he's on an 18-game hitting streak to end the year. Uh, he's been really, really good. Uh, they don't really do all pros. Yeah, I guess Silver Slugger is kind of like the all pro and he should he deserves some merit. I mean, the season has been incredible. 291, 17 home runs, 78 RBIs and 828 OPS. He also tears it up at home, 298 at home uh with 9 home runs and 18 doubles, one triple. So he he is definitely a guy that really gets after it at the home ballpark. He is clutch too. He has been great, you know, in those moments where it's the seventh inning or there's men on base. He is really solid. Runners in scoring position this year. He's batting 339 with 58 RBIs. So 58 of his 78 RBIs have come with a runner on. 
Scoring position and two outs, Contreras has 20 RBIs out of that, batting 298. So he's been really, really solid for the Milwaukee Brewers, um, really in all facets. But man, just a hell of a year for, for William Contreras. Victor Caratini, a one. I think they'll keep Caratini. They want, you want to have another catcher, maybe two. Like Caratini could have a moment in this in this wild card round, but he's not going to catch Corbin Burns. There's no way they're going to burn one of their nine with Caratini. There's a reason why Contreras has been catching Burns the last couple starts. It's be, it's for the playoffs, and we'll see it on full display uh, Tuesday night. Willie Adamas, uh, Willie's. Uh, seven like six like we just it's been a rough year for Willie I mean he's had some moments he's he's definitely been better than what we've seen earlier in the year so that there is that but I don't really know if I want Willie Adamas up in a late game scenario he used to kind of be that guy he's not really that guy anymore uh his September was just okay um he did walk a bunch I think if there's one thing that you feel good about from an Adonis perspective is his walks have gone up significantly. He's walking, he's walked 19 times uh, in that month. He also had 10 doubles uh, and two triples, which was a season high for both. So there is some glimmer of hope, but Willie is a guy that I think is batting sixth in this lineup, uh, which is crazy to say, just all things considered. Uh, Carlos Santana, nine like Carlos Santana's had a great year great second half for the Brewers he has seemingly come up in the clutch time and again another guy that you just want you want up there like you definitely want up there when the mo when the moment's getting tight and he showed it on Friday night with that walk-off he also had the clutch two-out hit uh, Carlos Santana has been really solid for the Milwaukee Brewers had a great month of September had five home runs uh, batted 289. Like this is the guy that you kind of you kind of hope that that you were getting at the trade deadline. Uh, 293 this year with runners in scoring position for Carlos Santana with two outs, batting 266 and a couple homers. Like good good stuff. And and this was the problem of the Brewers. Remember, you know this is why they got guys like uh, Santana and Marcana because they could not necessarily drive anybody in. Andrew Monasterio. Uh, I put Monty at, at a six. He's he's going to be in the lineup. I think you won't see him. Actually, you probably won't see him in the lineup because they're not facing a lefty. But I think he's a guy that can give you a clutch at bat off the bench. And Tyron Taylor, I think, is going to be that same guy. I You might see Tyron Taylor start. I, I think the discussion about what the Brewers do in the outfield is interesting. We'll get there shortly. But yeah, I, I think Monasterio, it will definitely be heard from, uh, but he might be on the bench just given all the righties matchups where it will lead to Bryce Trang. Bryce Trang is a eight for me, and it's mostly defense for Bryce Trang because Bryce Trang has, you know, a is it defensive stranglehold on second base. I don't know if he'll win the gold glove, but he's been excellent at that spot, and Trang needs to keep that up. And defense has been so such a calling card to the Milwaukee Brewers season, and Terang is a, a huge part of it. Now, he's the type of guy, I'm not saying it like him personally, but the type of player where it's bottom of the order guy, and all of a sudden they get hot in the postseason, and you you just kind of can't explain it. You can't explain why 
why they're doing it, but they're figuring it out. Uh, his September has not been great. Uh, he had a he had a good August, but his September has not been great. So maybe that turns it around. But yeah, I, I think that Bryce Trang, it's really about his defense. Josh Allenson, it's a seven. Like I, I, I think Josh Allenson can have moments in terms of a home run. Uh, I don't know if I want Josh Allenson with runners on second and third and one out. I kind of want Josh Johnson to set the tone with a home run, you know, in the with no on, no out. I think the nice thing about Donaldson is the playoffs are not going to phase him. He's been in it multiple times. He knows he knows what playoff baseball is all about. Uh, he's a great defensive third baseman, and the Brewers have really shored up their infield defense with Terang and now Donaldson. I mean, the big problem for the Brewers was the fact that Andrew Monasterio was a little a little bit of a liability defensively. Uh, Donaldson has not necessarily had, shall we say, the best playoffs. Uh, he, the last good one he had was 2016 with Toronto, where he hit 416. He had one home run and five RBIs. But he, the last two have been rough, or, or the last three. I, I forgot that he was on Atlanta. Man, that's talk about an ultimate or a, a grid guy that year. He played a full year with the Braves. I completely forgot that. Like, I, I just I completely left my memory that he had a year with the Braves. That's wild. He had a great year. He had 37 home runs. Like, I, I just, that that's completely blocked out of my head that Josh Allenson was on the, on, on the Braves. Anyways, yeah. So he's had, he's had a couple good, he had a couple good years in Toronto with the playoffs, but it hasn't necessarily worked out. Still a, still a guy, though, that defensively you rely on. And so he, he gets a seven for me uh, for, for the Brewers. Mark Hanna is a 10. I think just seeing what Mark Hanna has done all year, all September and August, like, can he keep that up? Can he sort of continue sort of the stretch that he's on? You know, he hit 300 in the month of September with 27 hits. He had So he's had 50 hits in the, the two months that he's been with the Brewers, uh, just tearing the cover off the ball. And it's he's been a vital, vital part to, to the Brewers' offensive success. And... Can that continue? I think sometimes that's always your fear in the playoffs is these guys looked good in the regular season and then when the pressure's on, they just, they can't handle it. Like they just can't handle the heat. Uh, and Canna, another guy in runners in scoring position, hitting over 300 and he's been he's been very good and he has not had a ton of postseason experience, just the 2020 year with the A's and the 20. 22 year with the Mets and it did not necessarily go well for Mark. He was 0 for 10 in his three games with the Mets last season. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully it's different. Hopefully this year is a little different for uh, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Moving on to Sal Freelich. Sal Freelich is an eight. I, I mean, Sal just is a solid, solid defender. I mean, his defense has been great all year. It would not surprise me if he has a web gem that's talked about, you know, during it. But he he has he takes a ton of pitches. He works counts. He's he's really really strong in that category. With the fact that the Brewers will be facing all righties, I think you'll get Sal some moments. Um, and he's he's just hitting right. He's the hit collector. He's twenty four hits. Uh, he doesn't have a ton of extra base hits but he just gets on base. Uh, his stolen base potential will be limited with G Gabriel Moreno, who's a very good defensive catcher. So I'll be curious to see if the Brewers do do try him. But yeah, I, I think Sal, so it, it'll be interesting to see, well, let's just have the discussion now between Sal, Garrett Mitchell, and Tyrone Taylor. Who do you roll with? 
I think the thought is it would be Freel and Mitchell, but I actually think it might be Mitchell and Taylor. Like, as good as Sal has been in certain moments, like, I, I don't know. Mitchell just seems to be a guy that is a little bit better offensively, just just right now where, where he's at. And then Tyrone Taylor has just been so hot that I, I, you can't, I don't think you can sit Tyrone Taylor. I just don't. Um, and I, that to me is one of the bigger storylines kind of coming in to that Brewers Diamondback series is, you know, what are they going to do in the outfield position? And so that's a little preview of our Brewers Diamondbacks preview here. And, and Mitchell and Taylor to me are, you know, eights and nines respectfully. Uh, I, I think Taylor has also, you know, really shown himself as a clutch hitter and as a guy who can come up with the big hits. And he's just been scalding since the All-Star break. And then his second half has been another one that is in that mix of player. 293 in the month of September, 14 home runs. He does have a lot of strikeouts. He has 22 strikeouts. That's That would be the case of why you would not get Tyron Taylor into the starting lineup is because he strikes out too much. So you just need one at-bat, give me Tyron Taylor. Uh, 273 uh, with runners in scoring position, by the way, but 192 with their scoring position and two outs. So he's been very good, you know, in terms of scoring position, less than two outs. But when they're actual, uh, you know, it's down to nut crunching time, he does come short. He does have 17 strikeouts in that scenario too. So he, it's like, uh, will the Brewers value the chance for Freelich and Mitchell to get on base over Tyron Taylor's power? Because that's, that's really what you're sacrificing. That to me is is a huge question. As for Mitchell, he just came back, but I, I, I love what Garrett Mitchell brings to the table. You know, he, he just has, there's something about the way he plays that, that I really, really like. Um, and he did not play over, he only played Friday, not play Saturday or Sunday. So maybe that's a tell that Garrett Mitchell's coming off the bench, but I, I love the idea of Garrett Mitchell coming off the bench. I think that's, that's a really, really solid bench player to have. And then Christian Yelich is an obvious time because he's he's the star of the team. He's the leader. And they go as Christian Yelich goes. And Yelich, you know, had the back injury, didn't go on the IL. I really think it was, you know, him resetting. It kind of looked like Yelich was going back to form. And then he sort of found it again, which which is great. And that's exactly what you want. Um, yeah, September only hit 240. Uh, but it's okay. I think it's perfectly fine. He actually was 391 in his last 15 days and had the two home runs against Miami. So I'm not necessarily worried about Yelich. Uh, he's he's also got back to you know being sort of the clutch guy. 313 with runners in scoring position this year. The haters are furious to learn to learn that information and with. With scoring position two out 305 for Christian Yelich. But the strikeouts, he's he's struck out a lot. And that's obviously a, a worry. You know, 140 strikeouts is a ton for Yelich. And you just you hope that that does not plague him, you know, come playoff time. So as the imports rankings, hit me up on Twitter if I missed one or I ranked somebody wrong, tapping the keg on there. Or on Instagram, tap the keg sports. But yeah, they're they're a very important player. I, everyone's gonna matter. Okay, um, and we'll just have to see. I might also have missed some guys. Like if, you know, I didn't include Blake Perkins or Ryan Telez. I don't know if they're going to make the roster. Uh, same with Andrew Chafin, who actually is kind of turning the quarter. The Brewers might have fixed Andrew Chafin. I still would feel absolutely terrified if Andrew Chafin's in a, a tight game against the Arizona Diamondbacks. So please do not have that happen. 
Speaking of Diamondbacks, Brewers Diamondbacks preview. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers face Arizona. It was a team that we all kind of didn't want to face. Um, we had kind of talked about, all right, Cubs, Diamondbacks, or or Marlins. And when we were breaking it down last, I think it was last Monday or Tuesday, I sort of was like, all right, so the Marlins are a very young team. They're not necessarily good against, you know, above 500 baseball teams. They they have, you know, a pretty questionable pitching staff at best. It's Jesus Lazardo and Braxton Garrett and then nobody else. But they have a ton of lefties. They seemingly win almost more one-score games than the Brewers. They've really found ways to win. And then I said with the Diamondbacks or the Cubs, it was like, well, there'd be a ton of fans there, but they're leaking oil. It sounded kind of like it was more pro-Brewers, at least on, on Friday night. Maybe it was because of the Caleb Bosley story, which was incredible uh, in its own right. But I, I think that, you know, the Brewers really would drown out Cubs fans. I, I think it would be closer to 70-30. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe, maybe that's not the case, but I, I really don't know if it would be 50-50. So yeah, I... I, and it was like, oh, the Cubs are leaking oil. The Cubs are leaking oil. Maybe it's a great time to take advantage. The Cubs leaked. They they completely spilled over themselves. They collapsed in September. They missed the playoffs after you know competing for the NL Central crown at the start of September to not even make the playoffs. It's fucking wild to me. Um, so it also is like, I hope I just really quick on the Cubs before we talk about the Diamondbacks. Like, I hope that everybody understands the NL Central was not that bad. Like the NL Central had three teams vying for playoff spots. The Reds were just, they didn't have enough pitching. The Cubs did not have a bullpen and their starting pitching was pretty lackluster um, and, and also ran out of gas. And it'll be curious to see if David Ross keeps his job. I think he will. Uh, but the Cubs definitely need some reworking and retooling. They could be right there next year. Uh, they have a very good offense. Um, and I'll be curious to see, you know, kind of what they do from an upgrade perspective. And they, You'd have to think starting pitching and middle relief is going to be the focus for them. But don't get it confused. The Anal Central was solid this year, um, even without the Cardinals. And then the Diamondbacks. And what we said about the Diamondbacks was, hey, they got Kelly, they got Gallon, but they have nobody else. Um, and that... And also that Kelly and Gallon struggle on the road. And they, but they have a very talented offense. But it's also a playoff and experience offense. These are a bunch of guys that will be playing in their first playoff game. I think I picked out three guys that have postseason experience. There might be more. There might, oh, maybe Gurriel is a fourth. But it's Gurriel, Laura Scurriel, it's Tommy Pham, it's Paul Seawald, and it's Evan Longoria. That's it in terms of playoff experience for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I, I, I like the Brewers in this matchup. And I, it's not even a homer thing. It's just, I look at it and I, I just feel like there are ways to exploit Arizona. I understand that Arizona's offense is good. I understand that the Brewers struggled against this offense back in June, but things are different. That was kind of the peak of the Diamondbacks in June. That's when the Diamondbacks were playing some of their best baseball. They had a great June record. They, I think they might have even got into the NL West lead at one point in June. And then they completely fell apart in the second half. They were 35-43 and 43 in the last three months of the season. They carry a above 500 record 
of 40 and 50. They beat up on bad teams, but when they actually faced good teams, they fell apart. They got swept this weekend by the Houston Astros, which and lost the five seed. Like they had the five seed and they just fell apart and they did not get the five seed because they lost to they they their last 10 is not pretty if I if I'm doing doing my math here. I don't think it's been a, a good last 10 for the Arizona Mets. Four and six. So they're four and six. They're 500 for the last month. Uh, four and six, 10 and 10, 15 and 15. If you put that to the Brewers, it's six and four, 13 and 17, and 18 and 12. And as for above 500 wins for the Brewers, they're 51 and 38. That is a third best record in baseball. It's only one behind the Dodgers, a couple behind the Braves. They actually have a better record by one, one game than the Baltimore Orioles, who won 100 games. So the Brewers have been really solid against high-level competition. And we've seen that really since after that Dodgers series, right, where they faced the Rangers, they sweep the Rangers, and they had no problem. They chewed them up and spit them out. And the Brewers have that mentality, and that mentality has not been on, on any of the Brewer teams, on any of them that have been in the playoffs, where they just sort of dispose of teams and these big innings and and all of a sudden, like it just starts rolling downhill. It'll be very interesting to see if Tori Lavolo goes straight to his bullpen or if he tries to let his guys pitch through it. Brandon Path, that's pitching for game one, had a very good start against the Charlotte White Sox. But then if you look at his last few road starts against good offenses, that Yankees, I don't know if I'd qualify him as a good, good offense, but a good enough offense, gave up five runs. Cubs gave up five runs. Dodgers gave up five runs. He is a very talented young pitcher. He has a very bright future, but he, I don't know if he's ready for this moment. And the Brewers have to pounce on that guy first couple innings. I know they're better that second time through the order. They got to go. They cannot let Piaf be comfortable, burn that bullpen, put as much pressure as possible on that team. And I, I really think that that is of the utmost importance because the Diamondbacks do not have depth in their pitching staff. Yes, they have Merle Kelly. Yes, they have Zach Allen. But that's it. Like, that's all they have. And when you get into the bullpen, Seawald's pretty solid as a closer. I should add that as well. But their bullpen ERA is 19th in, in, the major, in major league baseball. That is not good. That is not what you want out of a playoff team where bullpens are so crucial to what you do, you know, as a baseball team because you you rarely see like these starters carrying it for seven or eight innings. Like if they get beat by Gallon or Gallon and Kelly, I a I'll be very frustrated. But b I know that they're very good pitchers. Like I I know I know that they're very good pitchers. And but I, I'm at the point with the way how well the Brewers have played for the last six weeks here. I, I don't know if I could take losing to the Diamondbacks. I really, I really like. I'm at that point. I'm not like saying they, they. It's like a layup. No, it's going to be very difficult. They have a very good offense with Corbin Carroll, with Kyle Marte, with Christian Walker. Like they have some big fucking pop in that lineup. Guriel, uh, Moreno is good. Like 
they can definitely change the game on a dime with a home run. And that's terrifying, right? Especially the fact that it's going to be hot as shit on Tuesday night. It's going to like it's going to be in the 80s. Like there the roof's going to be open for game 1, which is awesome. Like the vibes will be immaculate for game 1. Like we're we're going to be I'm going to be there. I can't wait. I think this is going to be my second Brewer playoff game. Uh 0-1. Max Fried dominated us against Corbin Burns. Uh, the game that I went the last time, but I, I just I can't wait. So, anyways, actually they moved up to 18th. Part of me, so the Pirates are, but their 4.22 is their is their bullpen ERA. Only the Marlins have a worse bullpen ERA, or the and the Rangers. Part of me, so the Rangers are 24th, which bad sign for that team. Uh, Marlins are 21st. Diamondbacks are 18th. Um, so yeah, that's ugly, ugly stuff. That is you know that is not what you're seeing out of. Some of the elite teams, such as the Brewers, who have the second best bullpen ERA at 340. It's just, like, I think the bullpens are going to be a huge advantage for the Milwaukee Brewers. I think the playoff experience is going to be big. I think the fact that it's at Miller Park, or American Family, is huge. You know, Diamondbacks 41 and 40. I know they won here, but remember, the lasting, I don't know, it was not the lasting image because Zach Gallon dominated us on a day game. I was going to say the lasting image was. Uh, the Brewers having a six-word comeback. And that was kind of the first iteration of the Brewers figuring out how to come back and win baseball games. And But that the team looked entirely different. Like, if you think about that, that's the other thing to think about. Like, if you look at the last time that the Brewers and Diamondbacks played, let's just let's just take a peek. Let's just see what we had there. Brewers lost 5-1 in that game. Zach Allen was awesome in that. I think he had 13 strikeouts. No, four. What was I thinking? Uh, and the Brewers, you know, kept it close. It was 1-1, and then uh, Alec Thomas broke a, a tie, and then the Brewers kind of fell apart in the eighth and the ninth inning. But that Brewer lineup that day, uh, Christian Alec still there. William Contreras, yes. William Adams hitting third. I will tell you right now that William Adams will not hit third tomorrow. Uh, Rye Telez, uh probably on the bench, maybe not even on the roster. Owen Miller, he's in AAA. Brian Anderson, he's DFA'd. Ramil Tapia, DFA'd. Owns Zach Allen, though. Like, if we could have a guest spot for Ramil Tapia just to face Zach Allen, I would do it. Luis Urias on another team. Joey Weimer down in the minor leagues. Who started that game? Julio Tehran. He's no liar. Strzelecki was on the on Arizona. He's gone. Trevor McGill, who struggled. That was before Trevor McGill turned around his entire season. Like, Trevor McGill became awesome. So you just, I'm not saying like you throw out that series because that first game against Diamondbacks, Corbin Burns got absolutely shelved. Like they lost 9-1 and Corbin Burns got absolutely annihilated. The They jumped on him for six runs in the first inning. Uh, but that was where, that was Burns' rough patch of the year. So that is obviously somewhat somewhat of a concern, but I'm not gonna, not gonna worry too much about it. Uh, I, I think that, the Brewers can figure it, figure it out, uh, and and make it make it happen. And I, I like them, I like them to sweep. I think it's two nothing. I think that there's a huge advantage there in game number one, and they could really work that bullpen. And then when it's Kelly and Gallon, it's just getting enough hits, and the approach has to be maybe a little bit different, and maybe get on them early, try to jump out to an early lead, and hopefully you know some of the newer bats, your Cannas, your Santanas. Are going to going to be the difference, and hopefully the Brewers can get you know a couple of days rest before heading to the Dodgers. 
I don't know if I could take a game three. I will tell you that right now. Uh, playoff baseball is is terrifying. Uh, just a, a friendly reminder from your friend Charlie. Playoff baseball is just ugh, it, it, it. Every pitch you are just on fucking edge. Like you are just on edge the entire process of it all. Like it's it is truly truly the worst. Um, and. The 2021 year was just so, it came so fast. Like, that's the other thing. Like, you lose in this wildcard round, it's over. Like, all of what, all the goodwill, everything that we talked about is completely out those whore, right? Like, we are, we are no longer, we are no longer talking about that. That, that is over. I was trying to look and remind myself of the Atlanta game, but I don't have the playoff result. Yeah, if you remember the 2021 playoffs where the Brewers, you know, played the Atlanta Braves, they they won that first game 2-1, then the Braves were to win 3-0, the Braves also won 3-0, and then Josh Hader uh, blew blew the game, it was a ugly one for that last one, and the Brewers lost 5-4 to the Braves, and the Braves advanced, and then the Braves would go on to win the World Series. And the Brewers have been a good luck chuck. Uh, they have been the, you know, the team that they've lost the team that's won the World Series. I think, let's see, 2021, 2020, which doesn't really count, but work with me. 2019, the Nationals. 2018, that Dodgers team did not win, so but they were at the World Series. That 2011, the Cardinals, they did. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's happened far too often. And you just hope that, Maybe the tides turn this year, and maybe maybe it's the Brewers that that's the team that is going all the way. And I, I mean, this is this is as good as I've felt about the Brewers in the postseason. Uh, and it's a it's a weird feeling. Uh, it's you know, the year everyone's like, oh, the Braves, the Braves. I understand it. Braves best team in baseball. Uh, but I think the Brewers have a real shot, and and it's it's there. Uh, they have as good of an offense as I can remember. Uh, and they have a great pitching. So it's a little bit of both. I think they're fighting for Craig Council. And just, it seems like there's a lot of magic in that in that stadium, man. Uh, that, that Bosley thing. And just so many moments here. The can of Grand Slam and everything else. That just, may, there's just a weird feeling about it. About what the Brewers are this year. And I will tell you right now. If, if the Brewers win a World Series, this city is going to burn like, this city will go absolutely apeshit. Like, you, th- you thought the Deer District was something. Wait till you see the Brewers. I think it will be at an entirely, entirely different level. Speak, at, and we'll be there for you all, all throughout uh, playoff reactions, probably after every game, I would say. Um, at least that's what we're going to try to do. Uh, we'll obviously talk about the other stuff, too, uh, in Wisconsin sports, like the Milwaukee Bucks who we are moving on to now, and let's talk about those books. The Milwaukee Bucks had quite the weekend, right? You welcome Dave Miller to town, and then on Sunday, right before you kick off the NFL week, Drew Holiday goes to the Boston Celtics for Malcolm Brogdon and Robert Williams and some picks. It was an, ex- it was an inherited risk when the... Bucks traded Drew Holiday to the Portland Trailblazers. They knew that teams from both the Eastern and Western Conference contending would go after Drew Holiday. He is that type of player. And the Celtics did it as a chess match to the Milwaukee Bucks, saying, okay, you have Dame Lillard. We now have Drew Holiday. We have your guy. We have a guy that'll be motivated. We have a guy that'll have a chip on his shoulder. We are not worried about the playoff failures that Holiday has had. 
and we are going to really work you defensively with what we have on our perimeter. It's a good trade for Boston, all right? Let's just call it what it is. It's a good trade for Boston. They He makes Boston better. Boston did not really have a point guard. And maybe it was Derek White. I don't know. I think the Derek White hype is kind of ridiculous if you ask me. I just have never really thought about Derek White as a top player, right? I, I just think he's a bench guy. I don't, I don't think he's nothing more, nothing less. And so... They didn't really have a point guard. They get that point guard. They also get a defensive, basically, replacement with Marcus Smart. Now, I think he's just as good as Marcus Smart, maybe a little bit better. Obviously, as he's getting older, um, that's that's a concern that you know maybe he will lose some of that lateral quickness. And if Jimmy Butler would tell you anything, it would tell you that he already had lost it and that it's, it's actually gone. Uh, but we'll have to see. We'll obviously have to see if that's the case. And Holiday, you know, adds a veteran presence to that Celtics team, as well as working with Joel Mazzola, the Celtics coach. And so you have Holiday and, and Horford really as sort of your older leadership. Now, the Celtics team obviously has been through a lot. They've been through they've been through the wars, but I don't necessarily understand what they're doing when it comes to guarding guys like Giannis and Joel Embiid. I, I don't get it at all, actually. They have completely sacrificed that part of their team for pretty solid perimeter defense. But is it really anything better than what you had last year? And White's not a great, not a, I shouldn't say he's not a great defender. He's, he's pretty solid. I, just, I don't want to discredit that. He's, he's a solid defender, but he's small. He's, he's undersized. So you, you, have, you have that ankle. He can't guard a ton of people. And then you have Holiday and you have Tatum, you have Brown, but when you go with that back line, it's Kristaps Porzingis, it's Al Horford, and that's it. Uh, they added Wayne, Wayne and Gabriel today, but like whoopty fucking do, right? Um, is Wayne? Do you really want Wayne and Gabriel playing in your playoff games? I don't think so, but you might have to because Kristaps Porzingis is an injury waiting to happen. Like he he is a red flag guy where you just you look if you're playing fantasy or something like that, you always see the red sort of ambulance cross by his name because he never stays healthy. And to rely on that health to be okay is a huge gamble by Boston. And also to see if Al Horford still has it. Like Al Horford's 37 years old, 37, 38 years old. How are they going to guard Giannis Antetokounmpo and Joel Embiid? I think the thought process is you just let those guys go off and then you shut down everybody else. But is that is that feasible? Is that actually possible for the the Celtics against the Bucks? Okay, say Dame Lillard, you know, Drew Holiday, Dame Lillard. All right. Then you have then you also have Chris Middleton. So Tatum's guard Middleton or Jalen Brown's guard Middleton. Middleton's done pretty well against those guys. And it, it's or then who guards Brooke Lopez? And Brooke Lopez now suddenly has been a guy that hasn't necessarily made it on the court in a lot of Boston series, only when Rob Williams is out there, but you're going to have more Brooke. Like who, who's guarding the inside game with Brooke and Giannis? They will tear Boston apart inside. So I, I'm very interested to see how this chess match all plays out. And Holiday going there sucks. Uh, it would probably be the, the one place we didn't want him to go. Uh, just as Bucks fans, uh, it would probably be that Miami Heat, Philadelphia 76ers. I but this is 
this is the worst because the Buck Celtic rivalry is to me, I guess I, I almost tweeted this out or I put it on our social clip, but I think it's the best rivalry in the NBA right now. Like what rivalry is better than Buck Celtics at the moment? You could maybe say Lakers Nuggets, but that was a sweep. Bucks or Celtics Heat, yeah, maybe, right? They've had some wars in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Heat have come up on top the last two times. So maybe Celtics Heat has that sort of vibe to it. Um, trying to think what else has, has you could probably put in that rivalry bucket. Because NBA rivalries are weird, right? You don't have the same juice as maybe maybe you do in, in the other leagues. Um, trying to think if there's any, but anyone, any other ones that kind of come to mind where you're like, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a real rivalry. I mean, Philly Milwaukee is a rivalry by the fans, but they've never really met in the postseason. So to me, that's a hard one to, to endorse and to be like, oh yeah, those, those two teams just don't like each other. Golden State, does Golden State really have a, Golden State Lakers just because of the LeBron Curry thing. And now the Lakers have beat them in a playoff series. So I think that's an interesting one. That's one that's, I think, growing a little bit more. Uh, definitely feeling a little more real, but it's it's going to be a battle all season with the Celtics. And it's and I think that the Bucks, you know, have to make sure that they're the foot's on the gas pedal really from the start. And I think what the only thing that really worries me is that I could see the Bucks starting out the gates a little slow, just with all the new moving pieces, right? You have Giannis, you have Dame, you have new coach Adrian Griffin. And it just takes a while for everything to sort of come together. And for the Celtics, I just don't know if they have that problem, right? Adding Holiday is a nice add. And I, I don't think it's going to take time for them to mesh together. Um, I think with what you have with Brown and Tatum and everything else, like I don't expect that to be a slow team. And they could just get out the gates quick. And that could be crucial for the end of the year. I mean, I have lived the philosophy that game one is as important as game 182. Um, now, I won't, like, if you lose the game, it sucks, but I, I won't take it, like, as seriously. But it, it is something that that really, I, I think, is important to keep your eye on. And you have to just, you have to sort of understand that, that is, that's on the table and that, that is possible. So we'll we'll have to monitor and see, see what happens there. But I, I'm very excited for the... First iteration of Bucks Celtics. That should be a ton of fun uh, when these two teams meet. I think Adam Silver is probably kicking himself that he didn't get you know all the you know team guys on different teams before the schedule came out. Uh, ESPN uh, Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. So think about that. We could have an unbelievable Thanksgiving week with the Marquettes and Maui. And I think they would play right before Bucks Celtics. So you get Marquette versus whoever, and then Bucks Celtics, and then Thursday you have the Packers and Lions. Like, yeah, that Bucks Celtics game in in Boston to start. They're home to play Boston on the 11th of of January, right before they host Golden State on a Saturday night. That's fun. I'm trying to think, other Boston. Then they play Boston in Boston on March the 20th. Or, or yeah, March 20th, and then home for Boston on Tuesday the 9th. So very spread out, four times that they're seeing the Celtics. So that's a little different from last year. Remember, it was three games. So you have four opportunities to you know win that, and you could split the series. I mean, that's also that's also possible. But 
yeah, I have a I have a tinge of concern that the Bucks start out a little slow, only because of just all the new pieces. I will say working to their advantage is they play a lot of games at home to begin the year, and I think that obviously bodes well for their team. And I, I think that's something that is definitely definitely on the, on the table. Definitely could could help itself out. I the Bucks with Holiday, you know, when he he joined the Bucks, obviously a COVID year, it was a little bit behind schedule. Uh, the Bucks started out that year. They were six and four to begin the year. They were actually ten. Let's see here. They were 10, 12 and eight. They they didn't really start picking up steam until a little bit after. They actually went on a bad losing streak. I remember that right before. Yeah. So they were six, 16 and thirteen at one point of the championship year. So I, I don't know if that will replicate itself in Boston with Holiday or if that's just you know all team based. That's probably. Probably is, but I am excited for Buck Celtics already. The the rivalry is real. Um, I, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how each team sort of susses out their roster as the year goes on. I think it will also be interesting to see if you know how Adrian Griffin handles the Celtics versus what we saw out of Mike Budenholzer. I think that is a huge part of this, and you know, and it, just Adrian Griffin's system in general. Like I've seen all these lineups and of what the Bucks might do at shooting guard and who's that fifth guy. And we just don't know. Like the jury is entirely out. We have not seen this version of the Milwaukee Bucks yet. I will say that there, the national media reaction to the Dame Lillard trade was hilarious. Um, it was truly pathetic. I kind of touched on it Friday. But one of the interesting things was just how how few people brought up Marjan Bochamp and, and Andre Jackson Jr. as potential you know wing defenders for the Bucks. Nobody seemed to care. No one seemed to know that those guys are on the team. And yes, Andre Jackson really can't shoot, but Andre Jackson's a dog. Like Andre Jackson will defend till the cows come home. Okay, uh, Marjan Bochamp is the same way. I really think both those guys are going to have a big year. I think Bochamp especially. I think if there's one guy that everybody's sort of not thinking about with this Bucks team, it's Bochamp. And I, I really do think that, that that needs to be considered when you're when you're doing it, when you're when you're thinking through, you know, what the what the Bucks have on their roster. Speaking of what they have on their roster, campaign now joins Bucks backup point guard. The Bucks desperately needed a backup point guard. They did not have one. Payne, you know, had some moments in that 2021 NBA Finals run with the Phoenix Suns. Uh, he is a little bit of a frustrating player. There's a little bit of like, hey, remember it's campaign time. Uh, but he he's a solid, solid guy for the Bucks to add to that roster. Uh, and yeah, they they did not have you know that backup point guard. Ty Ty Washington was potentially on the table for them in that in that capacity. But it's now it's now belonging to campaign. I still I still kind of like Ty Ty Washington. I think Ty Ty Washington could could be something, um, and maybe he he ends up staying staying on the team. But yeah, I I like what campaign has. Uh, the his names uh, by the way his nicknames on Basketball Reference the campaign obviously kill camp uh, camp and the haboob the haboob's great. I didn't know he was nicknamed the haboob. Uh, but that's fucking awesome. If you don't know what a haboob is, it is a sandstorm in uh, Arizona. Also, what we saw with Blake Lively today. You guys like it? No? Blake Lively, holy shit. Like, just reminded who, who the fucking boss was. Just put, That's putting your dick on the table, let me tell you. But anyways, 
Uh, campaign uh, last year it was 10 po- average 10 points a game uh, he shot th- 36 percent from three is actually uh, was a little bit better than the year prior he really struggled after that you know ch- that year that he you know went on the run and was a vital part to what the Suns were doing he p- didn't only played in 48 games last year had some injuries uh, and so we'll we'll see if campaign can kind of be a steady force for the Bucks off that bench. Uh, I don't think they're expecting him to do all that much. So we'll see how how campaign can deliver and see if you know he's what the Bucks need in terms of their backup. I think there was some thought maybe Reggie Bullock would be that guy who just got bought out by the San Antonio Spurs, but it's pain. Um, and I, they might feel confident in that wing defender and that could also go to the point of Marjan Beauchamp and Andre Jackson Jr. Before we go to the Las Vegas Raiders and the look ahead there, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Dame's form. The Raiders, I'm sure he's a Raider fan, even though they moved to Vegas because the Oakland guy. Uh, the Dame Lillard experience on Saturday afternoon. So I don't remember if we, I don't think we talked about it with Shaycon on Friday show if, if we were going or what we were doing. Um, I had texted a group chat on Friday because they were like, oh, Mitch wanted to go. And I was like, ah, this feels kind of like a marketing play. Like this just feels like a reason to get people out, out, out in the city. And it definitely was. Uh, and th- there's nothing wrong with that. I like it's all good. Uh, my guy Shafty, who you know I've talked about on the pod, I should just have him on. Uh, with the way you know we, I, I give him enough shout outs. We interact a lot on Twitter. But it was like, oh, this was just meant to like show Dame that like. We care and that, you know, it's it's a welcoming experience, basically giving him a big Midwestern hug. And I, I, I get that, but I, I just feel like you could have done a little bit more. Like the Bucks were like 75% of that idea was baked out and you could clearly see what happened here. So Dame trade happens, was that Tuesday, Wednesday? That Dame, the Dame Miller trade happens. And then it was Wednesday. So then I'm sure what the marketing people looked at was like, oh, the weather's gonna be great on Saturday. Like it's gonna be summer out. Why not just get everybody down to the Pfizer Forum? We create sort of like a red carpet and we welcome Dame in. Yeah, that sounds good. Do we need a stage? Uh, nah, well, because we can't get a stage. Oh, okay, that's that's fine. Probably should've got a stage. Should Dame say a few words? Yeah, yeah, maybe, well, but I don't know. Does he want to say a few words? No, Dave doesn't want to say a few words. He's traveling with his whole family. It's a, kind of a stressful day for him. I don't think he wants to say anything. Oh, oh okay, Sound, sounds good. Then what else? Uh, oh, should we like have a video screen so everybody could see, see Dave? Ah, we can't get the video screen up. No, all right, well, fuck it. We'll just do it, whatever. Everybody likes to drink and likes to hang out. Oh, Dave's gonna run late. Oh man, so... People waited a long time for it. Um, I, I think it was better. It like the thought was better than how it was executed. I think it could have been executed a lot better. Um, I don't think it's a big deal, right? Everybody just got drunk and hung out, and like I said, it was a beautiful day. The city was buzzing, uh, and that just makes it fun, right? And there and there was not much going on with the Brewers playing, you know, meaningless baseball because they'd already wrapped everything up. And the fact that the, the Badgers weren't playing, it gave people an excuse to get out on Saturday when the weather was gorgeous. So I have no problem with it. I just, I, I think it, it was almost a great idea. It was, it's a good idea. It's just not a great idea. That's, that would be my review of the Dame Lillard experience, but I'm happy he's a buck. 
saw he's wearing the jersey, getting up shots. It's all awesome. Finishing up today's show with the Las Vegas Raiders, the Packers' next opponent, which is in a week. I did something today that I didn't actually think that I was ever going to do. And I bought the NFL Red Zone. And the reason why I bought the NFL Red Zone, I'll tell you why I thought I'd never buy it. The reason why I bought it, and I'd recommend it for y'all too, is the Packers don't play on a Sunday for three straight weeks. The games today were asked that we got in the Milwaukee DMA, which were the Bears and Broncos, which was a pretty fun game in retrospect, and the Panthers and the Vikings. And I was like, I don't want to watch these games. I want to watch the Bills, Bills and Dolphins. I, I, so I'm like, maybe I should buy a red zone because the next three weeks, the Packers are not going to be on, on any Sundays. And so I did it and I really enjoyed it. I can see why everybody gets excited about it. I like watching full games. I feel like I have a better understanding of what's going on, but I still felt like I got enough out of a lot of the lot of the games. And I I, I think we're going to do something later this week about observations of all the remaining opponents for the Green Bay Packers and just kind of what I saw, what I noticed, um, and we'll get we'll get that probably next probably tomorrow maybe if I have a show tomorrow I haven't decided yet but anyways uh as for the Raiders which they had on because there was not a ton of games in the late window there were only three saw a lot of Aiden O'Connell and I can understand the hype around him but it's clear that he needs some seasoning right like he he looks like a good piece of meat but he needs you know the onion powder the garlic powder the paprika like that's what Aiden O'Connell needs right now um he, he's a year away from being something, maybe two. Uh, now, I think Jimmy Garoppolo will be back. You know, he had the concussion, but you never know with concussions. Uh, and But O'Connell is a guy that you could definitely fluster. He fumbled the ball two times. Uh, Khalil Mack had six sacks, which is crazy. Just came out from the absolute death to have six sacks. The Packers are going to absolutely eat against that offensive line, which is not very impressive. We saw a little bit of what they did against the Saints, but Joe Barry needs to unleash the hounds. There's no reason why Joe Barry can't really unleash the hounds. The only reason why would be to protect yourself against Devontae Adams. But if you have Jair Alexander back, I don't know if you'll have Eric Stokes, because I think you have to declare a guy practicing off the pop. I would imagine that they don't do that till a bye for Eric Stokes to open up his 21-week 20, window, or 21-day, excuse me, not 21-week. Uh, and so, but I, I think you have to attack the quarterback, whether it's O'Connell or Jimmy G. Jimmy G had a bunch of turnovers to start the year, and I, I just think this is a a team that you can beat, and they, it lines up nicely for the Packers. Uh, they just cannot block a soul. And that should be a huge win for that front seven. That front seven should absolutely go to town. Uh, Josh Jacobs is a four, is still somewhat of a force and can create problems, but he's not necessarily having the year he had last season. He had eight catches out of the backfield yesterday for 81 yards. He was sort of the safety valve for O'Connell. Um, I don't know if, if Jimmy G is using him in that same capacity, but it was interesting to see Josh Jacobs do so much you know, in terms of the receiving game, 11 total targets as well. So that was that was interesting to say the least, but it has not been a great season for him. And again, that's part of that offensive line. He's only averaging 
2.7 yards per carry. Yeah, the 11 targets, 81 yards was a season high for Josh Jacobs. So yeah, I, I definitely... I am definitely interested to see if Josh Jacobs is able to take advantage of this porous Packers run defense. Everybody else has really, well, I, I shouldn't say the Saints. The Saints didn't really take advantage of it. And so can they can they make sure that, you know, Josh Jacobs doesn't beat them? Because he shouldn't. And he he's not necessarily having the same years that he has had in the past. And so I think the, the Packers need to make sure that they bottle him up and there, this is a huge game for the run defense. Uh, after Matt LaFleur basically was like, yeah, we keep doing the same thing and it's not working. After the game against Detroit, it, it'll be very curious to see if they can you know, finally solidify that run, that run defense because it's been so fucking bad again and again and again. And after seeing Atlanta put up a total of 13 points in the last two weeks with Detroit as well as now Jacksonville, Man, oh man, does that loss look worse? And is that Joe Barry sort of just what the fuck happened there? Uh, really, really paints a big picture. And I think if the Packers were to lose this this Raider team, Barry's gone. There's no way. There's no way Joe Barry should survive that. And I, I keep coming back. I think I talked about it on Friday, but if I didn't, uh, forgive me. Mark Murphy said, First six weeks, we need a defense. Our team's young. We're going to need our defense to sort of come through before we go on by. And they're, we're really going to rely on him. And I felt like that was Mark Murphy putting Joe Barry on the hot seat. And I, I just, I don't know. I don't know how Barry can survive another bad game against a, a bad team. But, I mean, the outlook has looked sunny now for the Green Bay Packers for the rest of October. Like, you have their, this Raiders team who is, a, and we haven't talked about defense. Let's before before we talk about the outlook and wrap up today's show. Defensively for the Raiders, it's Max Crosby. That's really all it is. Uh, Max Crosby is just a beast. I don't know if they're going to use him the same way they used Aiden Hutchinson. They were on a four um, three, so I don't know if they can. But Crosby is going to be a problem. Uh, they're going to have a, their hands full with Crosby all game long. Uh, that will not be not be an easy matchup. And the Packers offensive line. Struggled last week. I don't know if they 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 shouldn't struggle as much this week because it's really just Crosby and and everybody else. Uh, Jerry Tillery is a bad player, but he's starting as a D tackle. Tyree Wilson, their first round pick, has had trouble really getting on the field. Uh, they they do not have a ton of guys you know on that defense. And in terms of their linebackers, they're nothing special to write home about. Uh, Marcus Peters is on this team, who's a perfect Raider. Like that's. That is perfect that he's there, but a lot of just unknowns, you know, like Nate Hobbs, Ja'Corian Bennett, like no, you don't know those guys, right? Those guys aren't much, uh, but Trevon Moring, their strong safety was a guy that Murph and I, I believe, really liked out of college at TCU, guy that I think a lot of people thought the Packers might take in the draft. He's he's shown something. He's a he's a pretty solid, strong safety, so they have Crosby, they have Moring, but th- that's really it, and this this defense is gettable. And they did play well in the second half. I think if you're a Vegas fan, like that's what you look at is the way they played that second half. You know, it was really solid and, and shut down Justin Herbert. And they've they've been okay defensively, except for the, the game against Buffalo where they got the doors beat off them. But yeah, it's it's been an it's been a decent start for them. But they they really haven't seen a lot of good offense. They've just seen sort of mediocre offense besides 
besides what they they saw in Buffalo, obviously, and, and the Chargers today, it was good. But it, like Herbert gets hurt, they they're down Mike Williams. Like it, this is not you know full, oh and Eckler too. Like this is not like your premier Chargers super Chargers sort of team. Uh, as for the outlook, you have the Raiders, you bye week, you then have Denver, who's bad. Like they they pulled the win absolutely out of their ass. And you have the Vikings who have not necessarily eluded a ton of confidence. It's on the table here that you could be five and two. It's just a question of will you take advantage of it or will you have another dumb loss? I am worried about dumb losses. Like after seeing the Atlanta thing, I'm like, well, why couldn't they lose to Denver, right? Why couldn't they lose to Minnesota? And that's just, I think with a young team, you you always have to worry about it. You always have to be concerned about the the dumb ones and that those those are lurking, you know, around the corner. And hope, hopefully it's not the case though. Hopefully, hopefully that is not the case. All right, that does it for today's show. Another hour long show for the people. Uh, been cranking those hour shows out pretty much on, on, on a regular basis. I can't decide if I'm gonna be back tomorrow. I am tempted to only because we have, we could do importance rankings for the entire state tomorrow. We also have Bucks Media Day. Um, and but I don't know. Uh, so I'm TBD on tomorrow. I am going to do a podcast on Tuesday after the Brewer game. I, I'm there, so it'll go up a little later. Uh, and then we'll have one. Mitch and I will react after Game Two. Uh, game Three, you'll have me, or it'll be you know previewing the next round, and as well as getting ready for the Badgers and Rutgers, as well as Packers and Raiders. So. Yeah, it's gonna be gonna be a good week, man. Can't wait. Excited for it, and uh, have a good, good Monday. We'll be back tomorrow. Take care of going. Bye.